Amen. I invite you at this time to turn in your pew Bibles to page 1901, where we find our scripture reading for tonight, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Here now God's holy, inspired, infallible, and sufficient word. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is simple is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enlighten us to your word, that we may see in it how wonderful a salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. The miracle that you have worked in us called regeneration, salvation, being born again, being justified, and now being sanctified, and we will be glorified because of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years back, Jeff Thomas wrote an article for Table Talk magazine called Take Ten, or excuse me, Take Sin Seriously. And in it, he, he said this, take Christ seriously. Yes, of course. For every look at your sins, take 10 looks at Christ. But will you want to look at Christ if you have not seen your need? Will you see your need if you have not seen your sin? Why is the Son of God taken for granted in the visible church today? Only because sin is taken lightly. The rediscovery of the glory of Christ's salvation is our most pressing need. The most mature man of God needs a fresh vision of Jesus Christ so that he cries out, Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is the mark of a growing and a revived congregation. And that fullness of the Spirit as he glorifies the Son comes in large part by means of a conviction of our sin and a realization of our need of this glorious deliverer from sin's dominion, perversity, and condemnation. So, Christian... Take sin seriously. And that really is the main thrust of our passage tonight. This is what John is seeking to communicate to his audience. That true Christians 
take sin seriously. True Christians take sin seriously. And we have two points tonight. First is the definition. If we're going to take sin seriously, then we have to know what sin is, right? This is verses 4 through 6. Well, the second point is the distinction. What differentiates those who continue in sin from those who do not? Um, what, where, what is their origin? Um, who is their father? Um, who is their Lord? So, true Christians take sin seriously. Let's begin with this first point, the definition. John began this section talking about how we are children of God, uh, that we have been called children of God, we've been made children of God, and that we have this connection with Jesus Christ, that as we look upon him, as we gaze upon him in faith, we grow and our sanctification, and that one day will close. It will come to its completion when Jesus comes again, that he appears and we see him as he is, and we will become like him because we will see him as he is. And in verse 3, he said this, Everyone who has this hope, that is this hope of a future salvation, future glorification, everyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. And so, John says, we're seeking to purify ourselves, right? Well then, he likes to then make the opposite. He points out the opposite. So this first sub-point is the practice of sin. This is verse 4. Verse 4, John says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So if you practice sin, you are a lawbreaker. In fact, the definition of sin equals lawlessness. The reason why um, historically reformed churches have read the law of God every day, every Lord's Day, is for this reason, to understand what sin is, to understand what Jesus saved us from. Sin is lawlessness because sin is any want or conformity to the law of God. God has revealed his moral requirements. This is what he has said that we are called to as those who are made in his image. This is actually a reflection of his character and nature. And he says, you must be holy as I am holy. And so when you fall short of that holiness, when you stumble in that holiness, when you become a lawbreaker, when you um, act in lawless ways, lawlessness, then you are a practicer of sin. You are a practicer of sin. Jeff Thomas in his article will say this. He'll say, see how sin smashes in pieces the law of God. Two tables with safe, good, holy, just, spiritual, and profitable rules. Sin dashes them down, destroys both tablets. Is that an insignificant action? To disdain and destroy the holy law of God, the summary of God's nature and perfections? 
This is what the practice of sin is. It is practicing lawlessness. It is any want or conformity to the law of God. God has said, this is what the standard that I call you to. You fall short of that in any part. You do not keep it all perfectly. Then you are a practicer of sin. You have committed sin, right? But John is going to continue on. And as he continues on, he will make a distinction between, between those who live in sin, who keep on sinning, and those who don't keep on sinning. And when we get there, I will uh, mention that distinction so that we don't get wrapped up into what he's saying and think that what John is calling us to is sinless perfectionism. That is, um, that Christians can no longer sin ever. That we have to live a perfect righteous life um, now that we have been saved, now that we've been redeemed. So, uh, the next thing that John says is, but you know that he appeared. John says that Christ is going to appear again, right, in verse 2 of chapter 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears. Well, John is talking about when he appears again, but there is another time when Jesus appeared, and that is when he came to earth, when he became incarnate. And John says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. So, the performance of the Savior. Verse 5. What was Jesus' reason for coming? Taking away our sin. Christ came, and he makes note here that in him is no sin. Christ came, and he lived a sinless life, and that he appeared, he came to earth, he became incarnate. God prepared for him a body. What was the body prepared for? So that in that human body, he might bear the sins of his people. He might take away their sin. That is what John is talking about in the scriptures, in this very letter, when he's talking about how... Jesus, he came, right, as the propitiation for our sins. Verse 2 of chapter 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is what Jesus did. He was the expiation. He took away the sin that we should have been punished for Jesus came into this world, he took on a human body, he took on human flesh, so that in that body he might bear the punishment, bear the weight of our sins, and take away the guilt, take away the, the rightful judgment that we should have received in that sin. You know that Christ appears that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And so then, he says, what is the result of this? I always forget how to spell perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. What does verse 6 say then? This is John's snapshot of the gospel. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. John is saying we are all guilty of that. But Christ came into the world that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 
But, verse 6 says, no one who lives in him, no one who abides in Christ, no one who has a living, active faith in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So when he states this um, active participation is what he's talking about. Keeps on. Continues. These are words that he's using to distinguish someone who has a lifestyle of sin um, from those who continue to struggle against sin in the Christian life. When you talk about somebody who keeps on sinning, someone who continues in sin, as John says, no one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. What John is talking about here is an active, unrepentant lifestyle of sin. And that is to say that if you encounter somebody in your uh, day-to-day life who claims to be a Christian, but when you ask them, what do they do on the weekends? They tell you that they enjoy going to bars and uh, parties and um, get drunk and they go to strip clubs, then you have every reason to question the validity of their profession as a Christian because they have a lifestyle of sin. They have a continuous, unrepentant life. And if you confront them about that and you say, brother, that is not a Christian way of living. That Scripture condemns drunkenness. Scripture condemns sexual immorality. You cannot actively participate in these things and be unrepentant and claim to be a living, born-again Christian. And they say, oh, you're just a stickler, whatever. You're, just, you're, you're one of those fundamentalist Christians, aren't you? Then you have every reason to believe that their, their profession to be a Christian is illegitimate. Because they have kept on sinning. They continue in sin. And the one who says they believe in Jesus and they live in him is denying the fact that they keep on sinning. They're denying the fact that Jesus came into this world to take away our sins and to give us new life. So that is the definition of sin. Sin is breaking of the law. Sin is lawlessness. But we know that Christ came into this world to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So the one who claims to be in Christ, united to Christ, can't continue to live unrepentant in a a lifestyle of sin while claiming to be united to Christ. You understand that, right? Christ is not going to allow that. Christ is going to purify his bride. Christ is going to continue to convict his, his sheep of their sin and call them out of that. Does that mean that somebody who is walking seemingly in an unrepentant uh, way of, of, of life, who is continuing in a lifestyle of sin, who is claiming to be a Christian, isn't actually a born-again Christian? No, they may be. 
The canons of Dort say that there are seasons in the Christian life when they can seemingly in every single way be walking away from the Lord, but it will not be final and it will not be ultimate. God will call him back. God will call them out of that lifestyle to himself. And so what do we do when we confront somebody like that? When we encounter somebody like that, we confront them in their sin lovingly. And we encourage them to walk away from that sin. And we see if the, the Lord uses that to work in their lives. So the definition, we see the practice of sin, the performance of the Savior, and the perseverance of the saints. So let's go to the second point then. This is all about taking sin seriously in the Christian life. I meant to read for you, too, another point that that Jeff Thomas says in his article. Because this is what John is doing by tying the, the nature of, of the Christian life to what Christ came to do. See the judgment of sin that fell on the Lord Jesus on Golgotha. What do the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit think of sin? Consider the end of the Son whom God the Father loves. There is no Father more loving than the Father, no Son more beloved than the Son. Yet the Son bore our sins in His own body on the cross. The Son of God became the Lamb of God. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, but God the Father did not spare Him. There could not be a gram of compromise as far as sin was concerned. God did not restrain one stroke of His rod of justice and displaying how worthy of condemnation sin is. It pleased the Father to strike Christ, the, Christ dead. The Father himself, the Father lifted up his rod, and Christ took it on himself in our place. And, we're, we do, and we take sin flippantly. You see what Jeff Thomas is saying here? Uh, that's how serious God took sin. And he calls Christians to take sin seriously as well. So in verse 7, then, uh, John says, Dear children, using this term of endearment, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Don't let these false teachers who have entered into your church and entered in amongst your fellowship lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So this is very much in line with of uh, what we already read in verse 6. The one who lives in him keep, does not, uh, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So John is saying those who continue in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, uh, even though they may claim to know Christ, uh, they aren't showing any fruit of that. They're not showing any reality of that. And so John continues, he says, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right, that is, the person who is living... Um, according to the law of God, when he says right here, think law of God, as he stated earlier. All that is right, all that is righteous is in accordance with the law of God. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So there is this correlation, this relationship between the believer and Jesus. And that is seen in our sanctification. We do what is right. We live in accordance with the law of God. We are living 
more like Jesus. We are living, we are becoming more like Jesus. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Christ, is righteous. And so we're being sanctified. We're being conformed to the image of the Son. But the, uh, the opposite here is stated then. So that's, that's talking about the sanctification of the saints. But the sinfulness here in verse 8, he says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This is verse 8a. And so, we're told the distinction here is those who do what is right, they're in Christ. They're of Christ. They belong to Christ. Those who are sinning, they belong to the devil. They belong to Satan. They belong to the enemy because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Jesus said that uh, the devil was a murderer from the start, a liar from the start. Um, that what we know about Satan is that sometime prior to um, uh, the fall and uh, sometime in the midst between uh, the time of creation was a rebellion in heaven where Satan turned against God, wanted to be God, and he was cast out with his demons out of heaven, out of the, the, the place of the, of, of the uh, eternal, the, 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 uh, the throne room of God. And so this is, this is, at the heart of Satan is, he is a liar. He is a, a thief. He is a murderer. He is a, um, a sinner. And he's been a sinner from the beginning. When John says from the beginning, he wants that weighted language to be uh, there from the beginning. Just like he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word uh, was God. When G Genesis 1 says in the beginning. So John is saying pre-creation, pre in this time uh, before the earth was created and before humans were created, Satan was, the devil was a sinner. And so he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The fact that the serpent snuck into the garden and lied to Eve when Adam and Eve were in the midst of their innocence. When Adam and Eve had been placed in this probationary period, a time to see whether they would fully commit themselves in obedience to God. And Satan was the deceiver. Satan was the liar. Satan was the whisperer. What does that mean? It means Satan was a sinner before Eve was a sinner. Before Adam was a sinner. He's been sinning from the beginning. But there's one greater than him. That's the sinfulness of Satan and the way that people can be connected to him. If we sin, then we are of the devil. If we do what is right, we are of Christ. And many people don't think about this. But there is a satanic character to indulging in sin. There is a demonic aspect to it. So if we do what is right, we belong to Christ. If we do what is wrong, if we sin, then we are like the devil. We're being conformed more and more into his image. 
not Christ. Verse 8b says this, though. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I mean, this is, this is great news. This is great news. Because what we're being told here is that it was Satan's intention to cause this world to crumble into the curse. It was Satan's intention that humans would be given a sinful nature that had turned against God, that had pursued its own lusts and desires. And that was actually Satan's work that all this came about. That there's evil in this world, that there's... um, that there's brokenness, that there's death, that there's murder, that there's hate, that there's lies, that there's cheating, that there's all of this. That's, the, that's Satan's work. That's the devil's work. That's what he's going about doing. What does the devil and all his minions do? They go about Roaring like a lion, waiting to devour us, waiting to lie and whisper into our ears and guide us into temptation. That doesn't mean that we can say, the devil made me do it. That doesn't mean that we lose any of our personal responsibility in this. But that's what John is saying, is that the devil's work in this world is that humanity is all fallen into sin. And we are worthy of God's condemnation and judgment. That if... God had said, I'm not going to send my son Jesus into this world. Rather, I'm going to send and condemn all of humanity into hell and eternal condemnation that the devil would have won. There's a sense of that, right? Being communicated here. Yet, that's not what God did, even though he could have rightfully chosen that. No, what God did was he sent his son into the world... And the reason, I would say one of the many reasons, that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There is this element of Christ's work on the cross. There's there's this element of Christ's work as he came and he lived and he died. That was a triumphing It was a victory over Satan and and the devil. And Paul actually talks about this in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There is this sense in which when Jesus went to the cross and he was dying on the cross, that Satan thought that would be his victory, that would be his final accomplishment, that he would finally have the once over on God. And then in that moment, Satan, who's not omnipotent, he doesn't know all things, he's not all-knowing, in that moment he realized that God had poured out his wrath against sin, the sins that you and I committed against Humanity on his son Jesus. And Jesus, having not committed any sin, 
having been perfect and righteous, received that punishment and died the death that we deserved, experienced hell on the cross for all of us. And then because he was righteous, because he had not sinned, three days later, he raised him from the grave, triumphing over, conquering death and Satan and sin. This is the supremacy of the Savior over Satan, over the devil. He came to destroy the devil's work, to bind the strong man, to make it so that Satan could no longer deceive the nations, so the gospel could go out, so people could be redeemed from the brokenness that Satan had brought into this world. We could be redeemed from the curse, redeemed from sin, redeemed from our shame, redeemed from our hatred of one another, redeemed from our, all of that, that Jesus came into this world to destroy the devil's work, and he did. And he did. So then, John continues. And I think about, when I think about that verse, 8b, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, I think about Genesis 3.15, the first preaching of the gospel. And the seed of the woman will, will overcome the seed of the serpent, will crush the serpent's head, that is what was the first preaching of the gospel, was that what happened with the serpent in the garden, that he would be the one that would receive the harshest punishment. He would be the one that would be defeated in the end. That God would bring victory into the lives of Adam and Eve and their progeny and their descendants. But God would ultimately have a victory over and defeat the work of the devil. And that was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting then to see that, God, or that John then goes on to talk about seed in verse 9. I think he is trying to elicit this language he's already talked about in the beginning. He's already talked about this defeating the work of the devil. And in verse 9 now he brings up the seed language. This is all Genesis kind of stuff here, guys. In verse 9 he says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So what does it mean to be born of God? Well, John has talked a lot about this in John chapter 3. Not first John chapter 3, but John chapter 3. When Jesus had that conversation with Nicodemus about the need to be born again. In fact, many people can translate this born from above. That is, to be born again means that you receive a new birth, a new birth that is not like your physical birth. It's a birth that is different than that as a spiritual birth. It's a birth that brings you from spiritual death into spiritual life. That you are born again of the Spirit of God. That you receive in that new birth a new nature, a new creation. That you are now uh, a member of a new humanity. That that curse that was upon you, that had that old broken humanity, the, the humanity that was attached to Adam, you no longer have that Adam humanity. That's, you, you no longer have that. You have a Christ humanity. 
You have a new head, a new person that you are descended from. You are descended from Christ, not Adam. You have the seed of God in you. And the seed of God is the spirit of God in you. It's the same spirit that came over Mary and brought about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That spirit is now dwelling within you. And because that spirit is dwelling within you, that spirit of God, you belong to God now. There's no change in that. I always thought it was funny. Back before I came to my convictions about what the Bible teaches about this, that when I believed that the, the human will was, was all glorious, all powerful, and that, that I could say one day, today I decide to be a Christian. And the Spirit of God would say, okay, I get to stay and carry today. And then tomorrow I'd say, I don't feel like being a Christian today. And then the Holy Spirit would just go, Phoop. I guess I'll come back tomorrow if he wants me to. That's not how it works. When God grabs you, you're his. That's what it means to be born of God. That's what it means to have God's seed in you. And, and, and what John is saying is, if you are truly born, born again, if you have truly been given a new nature, if you have true faith in Jesus Christ, a living faith in Jesus Christ, then you cannot go on sinning. There's that word again. Continue to sin. It means that you will not be able to continue in an unrepentant lifestyle of sin. You will not be able to continue in that because it's contrary to your nature. Is what John is saying here is that if you're born of God, you'll, you won't sin anymore. No. Remember what John said at the beginning of his letter. He said, verse 8 of chapter 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. That's not what John is saying. And many people have confused that to be what John is saying. No, what he's saying here is that if you have been born of God, that new life in you ultimately will have supremacy over the life of sin in you. That you no longer are being, are slaves to sin. You are no longer um, subject to sin. We make excuses a lot when we sin, don't we? We, oh, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Oh, it's just how I am. No, it's not. That's what John is saying. You've been born of God. You have God's Holy Spirit in you. You have power over sin. Because of what Christ has done, he has defeated the work of the devil. You can have victory over sin. You cannot keep making excuses about sin in your life because you have the power of God at work in you to overcome sin. You must be putting to death sin, not letting sin put you to death. That's what John is saying here. And hear me right, I'm saying this to myself too. If you've been born of God, you won't continue to sin. 
because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. One point in your Christian life, at some point in your Christian life, you're going to have to realize that the sin nature in you is going to come face to face with the God nature in you. And if you are a Christian, you believe that Jesus overcame sin, so you can't believe that the sin nature can have ultimate victory over the God nature in you. That is what we hold as true convictions. The seed of God is in you. Let it be planted. Let it do its work. And then finally, we have the separation. The distinction being made here in verse 10 is finalized. You see what John has been doing a lot with the devil, God. The devil, God. Well, he makes that clear in this final verse. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So we got two kinds of children. Children of God and children of the devil. This is another thing that John has done a lot. In his gospel, he does this. When Jesus confronts the Pharisees, he tells them that they're of their father, the devil, right? Because of what they are doing. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. I think it's important that we know whether we're children of God or children of the devil. And this is how John defines them. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So here's the distinction. Anyone who does not do what is right, so they do what is wrong. And what John is talking about here, because he's already defined this, in correlation to this, right? It's the law of God. Anyone who breaks the law of God. Anyone who makes a lifestyle out of breaking the law of God has no respect for the law of God and does not care about the law of God. It's not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So, Jesus specifically said that the way that we would know, the world would know that we are his disciples is that we would love one another. John later on will go on to say, how can we say that we love God if we do not love the brethren? No love for believers, for fellow believers is a representation, it is a uh, manifestation of your lack of regeneration, if we want to use big words like that. True Christians take sin seriously. Jeff Thomas will say, see how sin looks coldly at the character of our Creator. 
the maker of all that is majestic, glorious, beautiful, and excellent. It pours contempt on him. Look at the scariest creatures in the world and imagine that they are honoring or honing in on you. Yet none of those creatures naturally hates God. Only sin, your sin and mine, despises and rejects God. See how sin lies under the warnings of the living God. God hates all that is a contradiction of his nature. All that is mean, sly, cruel, egotistical, idolatrous, greedy, and lustful is disdained by the thrice holy Lord. Everything in heaven and in the heaven of heavens, the angels and seraphim, the spirits of just men made perfect, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one in all their righteous anger and fury aimed at the head of sin. And are we going to go on being indifferent to it? One day by grace we shall loathe it as they do. See the consequences of sin. Consider the rich man in Jesus' story and the great goal fixed between him and the blessedness of those in heaven. He longs for deliverance, but he cannot ever leave that place. One drop of water is all he asks for, but he can never have it. What has brought him there, this wealthy man who had everything, this son of pride? What has joined him to many more who for years resolutely walked the broad way and refused every offer of mercy and disdained Christ the Redeemer? It was sin. That same sin that fills the graveyards with your dead and causes the smoke from their burning bodies to ascend from the chimneys of every crematorium. The wages of sin is death, physical death in this world and the horrific second death in the world to come. All of this indicates the seriousness with which God views sin and how inexpressible is all that God endured in order for pathetic folk like us to be delivered from iniquity. And you can shrug. You can nod and yet carry on sinning in deed and word and attitude and omission. Jesus Christ is everything sinners need. He can satisfy all our desires, can snap those mighty chains that attach us to sin. Christian, young and old alike, put to death remaining sin, strangle it and give it not a breath, starve it, refuse to feed it with a single tidbit, take sin seriously because you take the righteousness and blood of Christ. Seriously. That's what John is saying. And I pray that you would know it tonight. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to take sin seriously. That we might show ourselves to be children, your children, born of your seed, born of you. May we know that Christ has come to take away our sins. And that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. May we cease a pattern of lifestyle of sin. May we repent of all sin remaining in us. May we put to death and continue to take seriously the sin that our Savior died for. May we put our faith in the Son of God who appeared to destroy the devil's work. And may we, Lord, continue to cling to him as we fight sin to our very last breath till we are made perfect in his presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.